0: You uh, springtime is my favorite time of year. And you know, this, this parable that we read from Luke 8 is really kind of an appropriate uh, parable for this time of year. For me, uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year, mostly because of my love for gardening. My wife Amy and I, we've been gardening together for almost 10 years now. And if if you regularly attend the cannery over the last several years, uh, you know that it's kind of, it's just going to happen. It's gonna happen that I'm gonna bring up some sort of story about gardening because it just seems like it's where God is drawing my attention to Him. I love this time of year because I go into my backyard. We have this garden, and it's like I'm watching things come alive. You know, the dirt is like life is springing out of the dirt. It's like this beautiful thing. But one of the things— that I've loved about getting into garden over the last decade, is the way that it has begun to teach me about some of the teachings that Jesus has. It's begun to open my heart and my eyes to some of the stories that he told and the parables that he used. We actually have a little rock in our garden that says to cultivate a garden is to walk with God. And I believe that's so true. And you know, this week we're looking at Luke 8 at this parable of these soils. And if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this story before. And I know for me, my tendency is to come to this story, and I think others do the same, is we come to this story and Jesus lays out these four types of soil, you know, and he says basically, hey, here's the types of soil that we fall into, all of us are like one of these soils, and our tendency is to come to this parable almost as if it is some sort of like personality type indicator, like an Enneagram for the soul, you know, what kind of soil am I? Am I the rocky soil, or the good soil, or am I the thorny soil? And most of us come into this and we're like, man, I hope I'm the good soil. We're like really hoping, and but inside we're kind of afraid that we might be one of the others. It's like someone who, who, who comes to the Enneagram and they're like really hoping that maybe there are two, but they know deep down inside, they're just an eight and they've just gotta get used to the fact that people are gonna be offended by them, you know? It's like, that's just like, it's we want to be one thing, but we know we're afraid we might be the other, you know? But I, I wonder if there's something else at play in this. If there's another way to come to this parable, you know, I I was reflecting on it over the last couple of weeks and I was sitting in my backyard and something hit me. I started to realize that, you know, I was looking over my yard and I realized that right there on my little half acre plot of land in East Nashville, that I have all four types of soil. You know, I'll show you, I took some pictures to kind of show you what I mean by this. So you see these pictures on your screen. This is a picture of, of a portion of my garden. And I believe that right here in this one picture, you've got all four types of soil, and so yes, there are some, there's some good soil, some places of some good soil, which you'll see circled there in kind of yellow. And you know, if you walk through, you'll see some places where things are growing and the soil is really fertile. I and mean, we've got garlic that's just thriving right now. And we've got some sugar snap peas and snow peas that are starting to get ready. And we've got leafy greens and kale and leeks. And man, it's beautiful. Like the dirt is producing life. And when you take a close look at this good soil, like that soil right there, we have worked hard years on that. Uh, You know, that soil, I dug that hole with my hand, I don't even need a shovel to plant anything in that dirt anymore, it's so fertile. We can just pull it back with our hand and plant a dirt, it's beautiful. But there are other places in our garden that's not quite like that. They're in the same garden, we have a path and you see the path circled there in yellow in our garden. And man, if I try to dig a hole in that path, it's like I tried, I took a picture of my hand. This is not just my hand on the path. I'm trying to dig a hole in that path right there, and it's just not happening. Like that ground is hard, and if we try to plant a seed there, the birds will inevitably come and get it and snatch it away, just like Jesus says in the parable. But we've also got rocky soil. See this picture? This is a little patch of dirt that's kind of behind our garden that no matter how hard we try to make something grow there, it just won't happen. It'll spring up, but as soon as the sun hits it in the summer, it has no root system and it begins to die and wither. And then we've also got our own little version of the thorny soil. You know. Most people in, uh, in, in Nashville try to grow their grass and make it green. Amy and I try to kill our grass so that we can grow something that is edible. And I'm just gonna tell you that our version of thorns is genetically modified grass that will grow wherever it wants to, no matter what you try to do to kill it. And so it's like, we have grass that grows all over the place, and if we try to plant something in the middle of it, the grass chokes it out. It's like the thorns that Jesus described. And as I looked at my yard and I began to realize that, man, I've got all four types of these soil right here in my one little yard. It's like Psalm 86, 11 popped into my head. In Psalm 86, the psalmist says this. He says, Lord, teach me your ways that I may rely on your faithfulness. And then listen to this. He says, give me an undivided heart. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You know, it's like the psalmist understands that we as people, we have this tendency to partition out our hearts. We have this tendency to have divisions within our hearts, to put up fences or gates or walls, and that just like on my one piece of property in any one human heart, you might find two or more of all four of these types of soils that Jesus describes— that we could be someone that very clearly has some good soil in our heart because the fruitfulness is evident, and yet there can be places that are tucked away that look more like the rocky soil, or that look more like the path, or more like the thorny soil. And I began to see this in my own life as I reflected on this. Jesus began to speak to me about some of the places in my heart. You know, it was like, I, I, I do like to believe that, man, there's some good soil in there. I mean, there's some some places of fruitfulness in my life. I mean, I've, I've tried to give my life to the cause of Jesus, and there are some good things that spring up, and yet when Jesus starts poking around and he starts opening the gates of my heart, he starts going, Aaron, what about this little area, this rocky soil right here? You know, I shared last week in the pre-worship time on the live stream that God's been speaking to me about this tendency in my heart to be critical that I have this tendency to see people face to face and to put a smile on and be joyful and be encouraging when in reality, I will harbor bitter thoughts or critical thoughts or judgmental thoughts towards them. And it's like the rocky soil because no matter how hard I try, nothing will quite take root there because I am harboring bitterness or criticism. And the Lord's going, Aaron, what about that rocky soil? What are you gonna do about it? And there are other places in my life where it's like thorny soil. Where I've I've put my trust in other things beyond God, where I've chosen to find my identity and my sufficiency. You know, Even this whole thing where we can't meet together on Sundays, it's begun revealing some unhealthy places. You know, normally, before all this happened, every Sunday I would get to get up and stand in front of a large crowd where I'm seen and I'm heard, and people come tell me I do a good job, and now that's been stripped away and the Lord's going, Aaron, how deeply are you rooted in me or how deeply are you rooted in the praise of others? Mm. And he's revealing these things in me. And there's these places where it's not quite as good of soil as I had hoped that it would be. You know, for for some, it's like there are portions of your heart where you've gone all in with Jesus. But there are some other portions where you have not given over to him. You know, I believe many of us have divided hearts. And and a lot of this, it's, it's, it's the air that we breathe. The cultural Christianity that we've been living into almost has developed this version of Christianity, this kind of a pick and choose mentality of following Jesus. I'll pick the things I like and choose the things I like and leave the things I don't. So we come to Jesus and we go, oh man, yeah, that, that unconditional grace, yes, I want that. You know, oh, the unfailing love, yes, yes, I, I definitely want that oh man, the peace that passes understanding, the hope that never fails, Yeah, oh yeah, I want all those things. But then we hear Jesus say, hey, I I want you to deny yourself. Put yourself last. And we go, ooh, really? Or or, or we read the Bible, we read the teachings of Jesus, and we see this, this standard of morality of how we are to steward ourselves in every aspect of our life in our thoughts, in our finances, in our sex life, in our downtime, in our friendships, and we go, wait, wait, wait wait a minute, wait a minute, someone else is gonna try to tell me what's right or wrong for me? I'm gonna push that one aside a little bit. And it's no wonder that sometimes we can see good fruit coming up in some areas of our life, and yet there are other places that seem hard as the path, because when the Word of God comes in to sow, we've hardened ourselves completely to the idea that Jesus might have something good for you in the area of your life that you don't want to give to Him, and the enemy just comes and snatches it away before it can ever take root. You know, I've just realized, man, Lord, I have a divided heart. And what do we do when we begin to realize that we read this parable of the soils and Jesus begins to go, hey, I'm looking at the garden of your heart and I see all four or I see three or I see two of these different types of soil. How do we respond? You know, I was praying about this this past week and I'm sitting there praying for myself as I'm realizing the divided nature of my heart and then I began to pray for all of you, I began to pray for our church family and as I'm praying out loud one early morning in my living room, I'm praying, and these words come out of my mouth as I'm praying that I was like, wait a minute, where did that come from? Because those aren't words that I ever used. I knew it had to be the Spirit moving through me because I prayed this prayer. So I started praying, and I said, Lord, will you till up our fallow ground? And I went... <laughs> I kind of stopped, and I was like, till up your fallow ground? Like, what is that? It was like some sort of remnant stuck in my heart from when I was a little kid, and we used to read the King James Version of the Bible, and I had no idea where it came from. And so I had to get online, and I Googled my best friend. I started searching on Google, like, hey, what is till up your fallow ground in the Bible? And sure enough, it's in Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, reads like this. It says, hey, so in righteousness— and reap unfailing love. He says, break up your unplowed ground. That's that's the version of that, till up your fallow ground. It literally means break up your unplowed ground. And then he says, now is the time to seek the Lord until he comes to shower you with righteousness. So what do we do when we realize that our heart is partitioned, that there's some areas of soil that's not that fertile soil? Hosea's message to the Israelites was, hey, break up your unplowed ground. But I want to walk through that verse, and I want to go backwards a little bit, okay? So Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, the the last part of what he says, he says, hey, now is the time. He says, now is the time. He looks at the Israelites. He says, guys, now is the time to seek the Lord, seek him until he comes and showers you with righteousness. Why is now the time? You know, Hosea, when he wrote these words, when he spoke these words, he was speaking to a very specific context. But what about us? Why in the world would God put this random, obscure passage on my heart in the middle of praying for myself and praying for our church family? What is it about this time right now that is unique or specific? I think God is looking at us and he's going, Ethos Church, now is the time to seek the Lord. You know, Jesus told us, that things like what are happening right now are gonna happen. You know, right now we're, we're just watching like disease, like spread and fear and social isolation and economic hardship. We're watching all these things stir up, right? But you know, didn't Jesus tell us in the Gospel of John, He says, hey, in this life you will have trouble. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so He looked at us and said, hey, you're going to have hardship. But did you know that He got even more specific than that? You know, in, in Luke chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he, he's describing to them what life on earth is going to be like between the time that he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago and the time that he returns. He says, I want to tell you what, what that time is going to be like, what life is going to be like until I return. And he says this specifically in verses 10 and 11 of Luke 21. He says, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events. Now, that word pestilence is not a word that I use every day. I actually had to look it up. Pestilence literally means deadly or overwhelming disease that affects entire communities. Guys, does that, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? You know, Jesus 2,000 years ago said, hey, I want you to, want you to see what's coming. There are some things that are coming that you need to know about, that you need to be prepared for. And he said, deadly disease that affect entire communities. These things are coming. Are you ready for them? Guys, now is the time to seek the Lord. Jesus said, he said, hey, these things are coming. And here's where I want you to hear. Now, Jesus, I I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, Okay? I know this passage, many are going to say, wait, this passage, Jesus was talking about his return. Is Aaron trying to say Jesus is coming back? Well, listen, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I don't know. I don't know if he's coming back tomorrow, or 10 years from now, or 50 years from now, or 500 years from now. But what I do know is that he told us what life was going to be like, and he was right. (laughs) He was right. Like, it's happening just the way he said it would. And if he was right about that, he's trustworthy. Like, his throne's not shaking, he's not afraid, he's not worried. Instead, he's going, hey guys, now is the time to seek me. When hardship comes, will you seek me? Now is the time to seek me until he returns. You know, if he was right about this, could it be that he was also right about the fact that one day he is going to return? And you know, what he said to his disciples over and over and over again was, guys, hey, you are my friends. I don't know when I'm coming back. You don't know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows your job is to be ready, is to be ready, to always be ready, to be watchful to make yourself ready and to help others be ready for when I return. Hosea says, now is the time. Ethos, now is the time. Do you feel like you're ready? There's something about hardship that reveals how ready we really are to see Jesus face to face. There's something about going through hard and trying times that reveals the nature of our heart and the quality of the soil in all areas of our lives and whether or not we're really ready to just look Jesus in the eye. You know, hardship has this way of revealing things about ourselves. Jesus says this in that parable in Luke eight, right? He talks about the rocky soil and he says, when hardship comes, has no root, it falls away the good, good soil, it says it hears the Word, it receives the Word, and it perseveres. It perseveres. You know, hardship, like what we're going through right now, the things we're experiencing in this world, they reveal something about us. You know, when when the things that we've built our lives around or the things we've uh, built our lives on begin to crumble, it has a tendency to, to, to reveal where our hope and our identity and our security really lie. I started watching this happen at the very beginning of this whole pandemic, right? It was the first, it started with sports. Like sports, like completely shut down. The NBA stopped and then the NHL and the NCAA and then Major League Baseball and all these things just kind of stopped. And it was like the world's going, wait a minute, what is going on? Even our sports are stripped away from us. But it didn't stop with sports, did it? It was like, uh, I saw this in the entertainment world when Disney World and Disneyland and other theme parks suddenly had to start closing down what they were doing and the entertainment that we have clung to began to be stripped away for us and it didn't stop there. It went on into the areas of indulgence that our culture has. You started seeing things like Las Vegas having to shut down. Even here in our own city, Broadway itself stopped completely. I don't know if you've driven down Broadway at all during this whole thing, but it's eerie. You drive down Broadway at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and there's no music and no people. And things are being stripped away. You look at the economy that has begun to shake and to tremble. And when these things happen, they have a tendency to reveal some things about ourselves. You know, I believe that this hardship has revealed some things about our culture. Now, I feel like I need to say this, hear me out. I am not saying that God sent coronavirus or COVID-19. But what I know about God is that he is able to take even the hardest of circumstances and use them for your good and my good and for the good of humanity. He's able to do it. And so right now, we're seeing some things revealed, like even in our culture. You know, it's been interesting to watch in China what has happened ever since they opened things back up a little bit. They started opening back up, and one of the unexpected things that they noticed in, in culture in China was this unbelievable spike in divorces. It was like literally the week they reopened, there were, there were lines of people lined up outside of divorce courts in order to get a divorce from the person they've been married to, no joke. And even here in the United States, divorce attorneys are already saying they've seen a huge uptick in people that are reaching out to them that once this whole social distancing thing is over, they need to sign the paper as soon as they can because it's revealing something, right? Right? It's also revealing something about our culture that that, uh, different industries, vice industries in our culture have seen a huge spike in business. In fact, there was even an article that came out that was entitled, How Coronavirus is Boosting Booze, Weed, and Other Vice Industries. It's revealing something about our culture. I believe this whole thing is revealing our inability to be alone. It's revealing the true nature of some of our most important relationships, both for the good and for the bad. But the question that we, as followers of Jesus, have to answer is what is it revealing about you? What is it revealing about me? What is isolation revealing about you? Is it an awareness that you don't know how to be alone, and so you've turned to new forms of escapism? Is it a critical spirit that judges other people? who don't handle quarantine the way you think they should, or they don't handle social distancing the way you think they should, and so you harbor this critical, judgmental spirit inside. Is it revealing a level of jealousy? When you see other people that seem to have things that you don't, or you see families with kids and you feel alone, or you're a family with kids and you see single people having more freedom than you do, is it stirring up a level of jealousy within your own heart? Is it revealing a self-righteousness that, hey, I've handled this thing perfectly and I'm doing this really well and everybody else is messing it up? Or is it revealing a level of shame that you just can't seem to handle it the way that you really want to? What is it revealing? Is it it revealing a deep-seated anger that for some reason you're just always angry all the time? The question I think we have to ask is, what is this whole thing revealing about us in our faith? What is it revealing about how much you really trust God? What is it revealing about how much you trust him with your future? How much you trust him with your finances? How much you trust him with your time? I said this last week in the live stream prior to everything starting. One of my favorite quotes comes from a book called As a Man Thinketh, and the author says this. He says, listen, circumstance does not make the man, it reveals him to himself. And I believe these circumstances are revealing some things in us. And now is the time to seek the Lord. And I love what Hosea says. He says, break up your unplowed ground. Break up your unplowed ground. What does that mean, Aaron? What are are you talking about here? You know, to to break up your unplowed ground means to allow your heart to truly be examined and to go, okay, I've never served God here, but I'm going to now. I've never trusted God here, but I am going to trust him with this now. This is how you get to that picture in Luke 8 of the good soil, where Jesus says the good soil has this bountiful crop that produces a hundred times what is expected. Guys, I'm just gonna tell you, I've seen this play itself out in real life in a real garden. So I've got another picture we're gonna put up here. I apologize to Amy ahead of time because this is the only picture I had of this little strip in our yard. And so we've got this kind of awkward close up on Amy's face, but that little, that little garden area that's circled in yellow back there, when we moved into the house, it was just grass and weeds. And I literally would have to, climb into it with a weed eater and try to chop down all the weeds, and it wasn't doing anything. Then about three years ago, we started working on that little piece of ground, and we started tilling it, and we started putting in good stuff. We started putting in good soil and manure and wood chips and a compost and all these things, and this is what that little strip of ground looks like right now. It's like, it is fertile. And growing last year, we grew over 40 pepper plants there. And we've got potatoes and cabbage and rosemary and herbs and onions all growing in that one strip right now because we took the time to break up our unplowed ground. It's going, God, I haven't trusted you with this little strip of my life. I haven't served you in this area, but I'm going to now. And guys, here's, here's the good news is that God wants to reap a harvest in your life. Okay, here's what that means. He wants to produce unlimited goodness in your life. In every area of your life, God longs for your life to be fertile, to be producing goodness, his character, his nature, all the things we long for. He wants it in your life. He wants it in your relationships and your friendships. He wants to produce goodness in your relationship with your parents. Parents, he wants to produce goodness in your relationship with your kids. In your marriage, he wants to produce goodness. He wants to produce righteousness there between the two of you. He wants to produce goodness, a harvest in your work life, in your school life, in your private life, in your public life. He wants to produce goodness in you. He wants to reap a harvest in the morning when you wake up, in the middle of your day, and at night when you lay your head on the pillow. He wants all of those things to be encompassed by his goodness, producing good stuff in you and through you. That's what he longs to do but he looks at us and says, hey, will you break up the unplowed ground? You see guys, God uses hardship, not only to reveal, but also to refine. You see, God will use hardship. He will reveal your faith and refine your faith so that he can give you a resilient faith. That's what he longs to do in you. But guys, it doesn't happen automatically when he begins to reveal those pieces of land that have not been broken up, when he begins to reveal those, then he invites us to repent. He reveals, we repent, he refines and gives us resilience. but It begins with our repentance. Guys, this is an invitation to repentance. Jesus is going, get rid of your divided heart. Get rid of your divided heart. He wants to take it. You know, I don't know what your heart's posture has been like towards God during this whole thing. You know, I know, a lot of people are looking, God, where are you? What are you doing shaking our fists at God? But I'm just going to tell you, there is one response that is always right when it comes to God. There's one posture that is always right, and that is the posture of humbling yourself before Him. He's inviting us, guys, will you humble yourself before me? Will you let me in? You know, I love this one in the book of Hebrews. Uh, The the writer of Hebrews is reflecting on all the times that God has called to his people. And he says, guys, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Humble yourself before the Lord. Allow him to do what only he can do in refining your faith by repenting and breaking up the unplowed ground. Now, in in just a minute, we're going to take communion together. And we come to the communion table, and it's this reminder of the the unconditional grace of Jesus. It's this reminder of what he's done for all those places where our heart has become a little bit hardened. It's a reminder of what he does with our sin. But before we come to the table of grace, I think it's so important that we go, God, will you search our hearts and lead us in repentance? And so just for a couple minutes, I'm going to kind of lead us through a reflection and invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to really search your heart, and I'll walk us through this kind of a guide. And then, out of that, we're going to come to the communion table. But before we come to the table of grace, let's acknowledge why we need the table of grace. And let's repent. Guys, repentance is a U turn, a spiritual U turn, away from the things that are hardening us toward the goodness of God. So, take a minute right where you're at. I just want to invite you to get comfortable, to you invite yourself to be still before the Lord. Allow yourself to be still. I know for some of you this is hard because you've got kids running around or there's distractions around you. Just invite yourself to be still before the Lord. Lord, we ask, would you search our hearts? Lord, would you walk in the garden of our soul? And will you begin to show us the unplowed ground? Lord, would you show the places where we have loved you in word? We have loved you in church attendance, but we have not loved you in our thoughts. Would you show us, Lord? Show us the place where we have not loved you with our motives. Guys, as you seek to repent, you invite the Lord to examine both your actions and your motives. Lord, would you reveal, would you show us? Would you show us, Lord, where we've loved our possessions, where we've loved our entertainment more than we've loved you? Would you show us, Lord, where we've been greedy with our time? Would you reveal it, Lord? Lord, would you show us where we've failed to love our brothers and sisters the way we need to? Speak to us, Lord. You know, as you're reflecting, I encourage you just to write down whatever the Lord brings before your mind. Just write it down. Take note of it. Take note of it. Lord, did you show us anywhere where we're harboring bitterness, anywhere where we've been critical of others or of our governmental leaders, anywhere where we've assumed that we could do better than somebody else, Show us, Lord. You know, for some of you, the person that you've been critical of is sitting right next to you. The person you've harbored resentment to is in the same room as you, and the Lord is inviting you to confess it, to seek reconciliation. For some of you, it'll be a phone call. Lord, did you show us? Show us, Lord. Lord, as you show us where we have let vices addiction, habits, escapism, to keep us from being honest with you with our hearts. Would you show us, Lord? Reveal it. Show us what to do with it, Lord. Lord, for the past four years, we've started our year together as a church. And we've read this passage in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Lord, we come to you. Lord, we come to you. We help us to humble ourselves, to lay it all down before you? You know, as you... As you let these things come to the surface, sometimes it can be overwhelming. Some of you are realizing things that you can't change on your own, and you're going to need help. You know, sometimes plowing takes a lot of work. Keep at it. Keep at it. Allow the Lord to reveal and to keep refining and to give you resilience. Some of you are going to need help. You might need our Grow Class First Freedoms. You might want to sign up for a freedom prayer session. But there are things that you cannot change on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to keep leading you. Let Him do His work in you. And if you feel overwhelmed by the things that are coming up. I want you right now, you get the bread, you get the cup, and you remember that everything that you feel like you need to repent of has been paid for. It's been paid for, it's been paid for. You can bring it to Him. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us. So as you come to the table today, as you come to the bread, as you come to the cup, Be honest with the Lord. Be honest with those who are with you. Confess your sins. Let's be a repentant people, a humble people, and allow the Lord to do what only he can do. Lord, will you come commune with us now? We come to you, Jesus, with everything. We come to take the bread and the cup where we're reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus and the limitless grace you have for us. Lead us, Lord, in repentance. Lead us, Lord, in refining us. Make us more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's commune together. I love you, Ethos Church.